And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hi there, this is From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic and it is Adam Leventhal back again after a week off last week, uh, back to take you through some of the key stories in and around Watford and add hopefully an extra dimension to the articles that you have already or could soon be reading on The Athletic, where a subscription currently is just £3.33 a month, that is a 33% discount. So if you want to get on board, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Now on the agenda this week, we're going to be looking ahead to Manchester United. Uh, We're going to be talking about Watford's hotly contested goalkeeping position, focusing on the promising early performances of Nicholas and Kulu and analysing the Watford squad in terms of peak ages. Dave and Mike are with me once again. Gents, it's great to have you on board. Um, I wanted to ask you about your your peak ages in terms of your footballing ability. Dave, I'll, I'll start with you. Are, you. are you at your peak or are you past it or are you still yet to reach it? Well, I think I'm 36, just turned yeah. 36 a few weeks ago. You know, you could say that I'm I'm ready for the knackers yard in terms yeah. of you know what we're used to from footballers. But I think my I was a late developer. I didn't really start playing proper 11-a-side football till I was about 27. So right. I think I'm pretty I'm I'm pretty just over the peak but I'm I've still got a few more years left in the tank I think. Mike uh, I can't bend down to get my shin pads in, so <laughs> I think I'm probably past my... I, I think I'm, my peak arrived a couple of years ago, that Vicarage Road, uh, saving a saving a Tommy Mooney penalty in front of the in front of the rookery end. I think there's there's people who have had long Watford careers who can't even claim a, a high like that. that. Yeah. So I'll say my I peaked at, what was that, 41, 42, something like that. Yeah. I'm the Alec Chamberlain of the podcast world. And then 10 minutes later, your Achilles popped. <laughs> <laughs> peak, peak, pop. And see you later. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, though. That game, that game at Vicarage Road, I played in that. Dave, you were obviously yeah. there as well. And I remember I hadn't played football for years and years and years, and I really, really felt it. But I bought some brand new boots for that game. And then as I was leaving, because it was prior to the it was prior to the FA Cup final, wasn't it? As I was yeah. leaving, I'd obviously put my boots on the on the roof. And then I drove home. <laughs> thought that they were in the back of the car. I was getting a couple of weird looks from people on the way home, and I thought, oh, well, you know, fair enough, that's just me. Um, and then I got home, and there was one boot left on the roof. <laughs> and I bought the brand new boots. So somewhere in between parking at Watford on, uh, you know, on Occupation Road and my house in southwest London, there is a really, really beautiful football boot, and it has been there for, for two years. But hey-ho. But I would say, just on my peak age, I would say, you know what? You know, people talk about being experienced and just playing a little bit better because you're a bit more worldly wise. Since then, I've been playing five a side 
pretty consistently. And I'm a far better player than I was then at Vicarage Road. And you know what? I quite like I quite like being a bit older. I think you can sort of, you, you, I don't know, you just feel a bit more sort of, you've got a bit more nous. Even more impressive considering you're doing it with one boot ad. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. No, I went straight back to the shops. I bought another pair of boots. I was like, oh, God, I can't believe I'm doing this. I've just dropped about 150 quid on brand new boots. This is stupid. Anyway, let's deal with with the maybe the more important discussion of PKGs, and that is the, uh, the Watford squad. And Tom Warville uh, and Mark Carey worked on um, a series of pieces and supplied some some really interesting graphics on the peak ages of clubs within the Premier League. And each of the club writers, obviously I cover Watford, each of the club writers put a piece together and analysed their own squad. And, and what came through was that Watford, traditionally, they have an older team. We all know that they're usually sort of in the top three of the oldest squads ages uh, in the Premier League ever since they, they came back in under the Pozzos. And at the moment, there are 11 players that are considered to be past their peak. It's quite interesting, the sort of the dynamic within the squad. There are 11 that pass their peak, and that is actually quite high. But, and taking into consideration the amount of churn that there's been over the last 12 months, there are around about 15 players that are either yet to reach their peak or at their peak or have only just past their peak. So I think that Watford's squad is actually not in a particularly bad situation at the moment. It just feels like it's in a, a state of flux, but it is moving in the in the right direction. Or, or have I got that wrong, do you think? Mike, what's your take on it? It's interesting. Well, I think it's helpful to share. Um, I think there's a really good graphic in that, that article, isn't there, which shows the ultimate peak age. And for a goalkeeper, it's 28, centre-back 27, full-back 25, uh, midfielder 25, wide player 26, and a striker 27. And you mentioned under the Pozzos, Watford have always been in the top three in the average age. And our average age under the Pozzos has been 28. So we're above the average peak age for virtually every every position that, apart from the goalkeeper. Now, I think I, I think there's a there's a huge caveat there, and that is that Watford are looking to establish themselves in the Premier League again. And I think my take on it would be you can't really gamble with with perhaps youth and with that youth a little bit of inexperience when you're trying to establish yourself back in the Premier League. That was that would be how how I look at it. And it feels like perhaps the older players are quite a bit older. So Ben Foster's obviously 38, and Kuchka 34 and Kulu 31. They sort of skew it quite heavily, but don't they, the, av- the average age. I think we'd like to see a little bit more youth coming through and players approaching their peak. But but overall, I kind of understand why the makeup of the the squad is like it is. And yes, I do appreciate, and I can hear people screaming at their into their earphones or at their or at their radio, whatever they're listening on, talking about Scott and and what he said um, over the summer about bringing through younger, hungrier players. And you know that's that's what I say as a as a supporter, we would like to see that. But also, I think we have to be realistic about how Watford are going to stay in the Premier League and what the plan is for them staying in the Premier League. And I think that they've looked at a little bit of experience in that regard, haven't they? Yeah, I think this is an interesting piece. Obviously, the, the, the Tom Warville, the, the departed Tom Warville, has now left us to go and work for RB Leipzig. Uh, his, this is his parting gift. And Mark Carey, and obviously with your input as well, Adam, it's an interesting piece. And you can... I think you can take some things from looking at the ages of average ages of squads and all that. You can also, you know, as Mike, you've sort of touched on there, you can kind of pick it apart a bit 
because there is context and there is there are reasons why certain players are at their at the clubs and sometimes it's you know ideally everyone would like a squad that's kind of young hungry peak age right at the peak of their power sort of thing but sometimes players hang around sometimes you do need experience in the building ben foster obviously drags up our average massively and so do some of those defenders um but the data that they've taken this from just to point that out it's it's based on 10 years or 11 years rather of premier league data looking at the share of minutes per age across each of the core positions so it's you know there's a this is a serious sample size it's not just kind of picking a, a what's a a number out of thin air for what's the peak age for a centre-back. It's looking at the ages of the players that have played from all the teams in the last 11 years in the Premier League to sort of establish, right, when you're that age, that's the kind of age that you play most in that position. So there is something to be taken from it. And the fact that in our five years in the, well, this is our sixth season in the Premier League in the Pozzo era, but across those five or six seasons, we have consistently been in the upper echelons of the sort of peak age, of the average age squads. We've always had experienced players. We know that we haven't had any homegrown young players coming through, but we've signed a smattering of young players here and there. But it it is clear to see from that trend over that five or six seasons that we do favour experience. And perhaps there are certain reasons for that. Perhaps we've wanted to bring players in and then couldn't shift them or whatever. But it, I think it is quite interesting just to look at the broader the broader trend, as it were, as opposed to like picking it apart sort of player by player because then it starts to fall down a touch. I think that the weighting as well is is interesting. And we'll come we'll look at the, the goalkeeping situation a little bit later on because there's been another piece on that and, and we can pull that apart a little bit. But clearly the, the weighting of defensive and goalkeeping areas, there are more players uh, that, are, that are considered to be past their peak. And then as you move into midfield, that's where we start to deal with the, the nuance of the situation a little bit, because I suppose you have to ask yourself the question, you know, the, the reason why we've got Musa Sissoko and Yuri Kutska in the, the Watford side is because... And this is sort of out of the control of, of the hierarchy a little bit. OK, they could have dealt with the situations differently, accepted. But we've got those players in because we've lost two players that would have been considered to be at their peak age of, of you know, 26 in Will Hughes and, and Nathaniel Shalabar. So you then have to sort of go, OK, hang on a minute. So this peak age, yes, OK, so Chalabar and, and Hughes, they are they would be at their peak ages. But do, do, do we feel more assured with Sissoko and, and Kutzka in, in the midfield for this season in particular, going back to the point that, that Mike was making earlier on, you know, do you feel like actually we do need a bit more nous? Would we be taking a risk more with, with those two players? Maybe with one of them, maybe a little bit Shalabar. Was was he quite up to Premier League? We don't know. We'd maybe feel more comfortable with Hughes. So it's 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 an interesting debate, I think. And then as you move into the attacking areas, there is a huge tranche of players that are yet to reach their their peak age, which is between sort of 24 and just under 28. The likes of Ishmael Assar, Emmanuel Dennis, Cucho Hernandez, Quadro Bar, Joao Pedro. And then you've got Ashley Fletcher, who is in the peak age of, of 26 for a central striker, and, and Joshua King, who's just passed it, just beyond um, 28. So, you know, they are they they do seem to be in quite a good position. 
but that's but that's the one thing, Ed, where it does. You know, again, forgive me here. I'm not trying to rubbish the whole exercise because I think there is value in it, especially if you look at the whole Premier League table, not just Watford. If you look at Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester City, they're, they're three teams who are pretty much bang on peak age across positions. And, you know, they're the three best teams by a country mile. So there's probably something in it. But look at Ashley Fletcher. Yeah, he's 26, he's peak age, but it might be the peak age. But if you're not peak ability... It doesn't necessarily matter too much, does it? There is that. That's kind of again the other thing. You, you you moving into this area where yeah, he's played a lot of football or whatever, played a certain amount of football, he's got a certain amount of experience. But there are these sort of contextual factors that we have to take into account. I think it's all about a blend, though, isn't it? I think it's like a, you, you have to blend that sort of because we're looking at this in a very um, analytical way. And as as you rightly point out, Dave, it isn't a straight line between right your your peak age, therefore you're really good. Because otherwise, my you know 28 year old cousin would be up front for for England. Uh, it, it just doesn't work like that. But you mentioned the midfield, and I think that's a vast, fascinating one because Moses Soko. I think has has been a has a, been a welcome addition, really, as far as I'm concerned. I think he's been important to to us so far this season. But perhaps him in there with with Will Hughes, who is closer to that um, closer to that average age, would be a nice a nicer blend. And and it goes back to what I was saying yeah. saying at the start in terms of how do we stay in the division, which is our target for this season, and how do we use that sort of these sort of stats and mm. analytical approach to, to to get the right blend because. For me, at the moment, it doesn't feel like we've got it quite right. Adam, as you, as you were alluding to there, in different parts of the pitch, we're, we're closer to the sort of um, the, the target area, if you like. But it doesn't feel like that, like that blend is, is, is completely right. And, and just while you're talking about the strikers, I think it's, it's a fascinating thing, age, isn't it? Perception, because it was Emmanuel Dennis' birthday this week, wasn't it? And he's turned 24. And it's at that moment that I realised he's pretty much the same age as Ishmael Assar. And we treat them both quite differently, don't we, in terms of their development and yeah. how close they are to their to their peak. So I think the overall thing is that it's, it's a fascinating thing to sort of take a step back and look at in terms of age and development and, and when they hit their peak. And yeah, to question how close Watford are to, to getting it right. And for me, if you, if you overlay this as a filter, I think it's a bit skew-if at the moment for me. But it does bear repeating and reminding people that the results of this um, this piece of work from The Athletic, looking at all the 20 Premier League teams, we are by far and away the, at the top of the table. It's the only table we're going to be top of probably all season in terms of average distance in years from PK for each squad in the Premier League. So that we are three, we are on average three years away from our PK across the average of the squad. The next one down is West Ham United at 1.9. So we are, we are streets ahead, you know, and the bottom of the table is Arsenal who are 1.6 on average under their peak. They've got the youngest squad in the league. We saw all their young players a few weeks ago at the Emirates. So we, again, you know, there are some sort of, trends here to to look at and again you can read into it one way or the other but there is something there that says we are out on our own yeah no i i agree but i think that i think the blend that the weighting of it is is very important and when you look just a final point at the those striking positions and the attacking positions where most of the time you make your money when you're selling players that peak age 
metric does come into consideration when there are negotiations going on for transfers and things mm. like that. It's a big thing. You know, you've got clubs, some clubs, they just don't, they don't buy players that are over 30. So if you do have a whole load of players that are yet to reach their peak age, that is all part of the, the bargaining um, methods of, of agents and clubs and things like that. So in terms of the, the prized assets, the likes of Sarge, Raul Pedro, Emmanuel Dennis, like you mentioned, even, even the likes of Ashley Fletcher, who is still sort of in that sweet spot, or or Joshua King is only not he's you're not yet thirty. There might still be a bit of resale value, and we haven't even talked about Imran Luzi yet, Dave. You know, and I always I always forget about him. He hasn't played, and he's still way below his his peak age. So hopefully, there's hope he can, yet. Start, he can start to play, <laughs> and we can see what he's like, and then if need be, we can sell him for a little bit more. Right, let's deal with the the game against Manchester United because. Obviously, we all met up um, afterwards, uh, after the Emirates, and uh, had a couple of beers. And it was great to see you boys, because I, I don't often get to, to to do that. And it was it was good to see you in in a uh, in a pub setting. You know, obviously there was a bit of frustration after the game, and felt a little bit robbed because of the way that the goal went in and VAR and all that malarkey. But my feeling about looking ahead to to Manchester United is this is a real opportunity. Yes, we're missing Kutsko. He's he's going to be suspended. Touch and go a little bit on Ozan Tufan, but as I understand it, he is he is trying to be in contention for for Manchester United. So there shouldn't be too many changes. You've got Emmanuel Dennis coming back as well. Okay. There's pressure on Oligon Solskjaer. So it's one to sort of really go at with no fear and and enjoy it, isn't it, Dave? I don't know about enjoying it. Um cool, you've changed over the week, Dave. Yeah, you started off on, hoping for something incrementally day by day that positivity <laughs> seeping away that's my I think, man i think it's just being in your presence mike even, <laughs> a, even over the airwaves um but I, no I, I i do think we can get something out of the game for sure but i think it'll be it will be it will be difficult um the, you know we we've got our own issues if you as you've outlined there two fan touch and go i'd be surprised if he makes it kushka will be suspended which i think is a, a loss in the midfield united's midfield is there is well they've got a few weaknesses but one of their weaknesses is that central midfield relatively speaking um, so that would have been interesting to get Kushka and Sissoko sort of rattling around Fred and McTominay if those were the two players who who did indeed play in that central midfield for United so I think that's a loss um, but I think there's reasons to be optimistic for us definitely we were really frustrated weren't we at the Emirates to, on the last pod straight out of the stadium we had, we had Kevin friends card frenzy still clear in our minds and we were very disappointed but with 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 some distance and perspective on that game I think we were right to be frustrated I, I think we were right to be annoyed that we didn't get a point despite the fact that Arsenal were probably better than us in, on balance on the day we could have got something based on moments in the game and our sort of grit and determination and our overall effort levels so I think if we apply ourselves in the same way against Manchester United there's an opportunity to get points here because they are and it's been well documented not in a very good place yes they've got exceptional players they've got world-class players in almost every area of the pitch not not every area of the pitch certainly going forward they have you know obviously the big one Cristiano Ronaldo I mean whether he starts at the Vic we'll see but he he could win the game on his own could be done and dusted I'm you know, I'm sure he's not going to be phased about coming up against Craig Cathcart and William Chuster Kong or whoever or Orin Cooley whoever it is but 
they are structurally they're poor they've got issues I, I we've heard a, a little bit if you read some of the athletic pieces and stuff there are little whispers starting to come out of Old Trafford that some of the players aren't happy perhaps with with Solskjaer and they're sort of losing a bit of faith in him tactically they've been all over the shop they've had struggles against teams in the lower half of the table this season at various points so there's there's plenty of things for us to cling to and say look we can get points here this is not the Manchester United of old who come and sweep all before them yes they could easily win 3-1 3-0 or something on the day but also we could beat them the last time they were at the Vic we beat them so we've got to be optimistic yeah and our history in that in this sort of Premier League under the Pozzos against United is actually pretty good even when the even when the results haven't necessarily gone our way, the performances have tended to be okay. And I think they're you know I think you're right, um, Dave, to to look back at Arsenal and, and and look at it again with a bit of distance. And I agree that um, we, we we were right to be frustrated. And 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 Man United are in a similar sort of state as Arsenal, aren't they? Obviously, man to man by man, they are they're infinitely better than than Watford. But they're in a they're in a sticky state, aren't they? They don't really know. They haven't got much of an identity themselves. There's, there's struggles with the with the head coach. So they're definitely there to be got at. But I'll go and get back again to my point that I've been saying about Watford all season. For us to be competitive, certainly in games like this against teams who have got the ability to take the game away from you very, very quickly, all of the players that play for Watford need to be at 95, 100%. And all too often this season, um, they haven't been. We fluffed our lines against much, much lesser sides. And we cannot afford to to keep doing that. And it means that we're now, we're on the real big stages, um, having really wasted our dress rehearsals, if you you like. And I think it comes down to how uh, Ranieri will have dealt with with the, you know, the the four defeats in five, is it now for him? Or three three and four, how he deals with that. It's been another international break. So another couple of, another period without all the players at his disposal, how are they going to come back? So it's it's another really tricksy, couple of days isn't it for for the head coach who's it's a, it's a real baptism of fire um but they just need to be organized and the players need to need to step up there can't be any there can't be any half measures we need to cut out mistakes and they just need to be at it if they are we're in with a we're in with a sniff because like i say we just seem to have a bit of an indian sign over over man united to, to some degree but it's, it's so hard to be so hard to be confident when especially the home form it's just been it, well, yeah. it's been poor lads, really. United are a lot better away from home. No than pressure, they are you at see. Home as yeah. well, so yeah. it's, it, is, it is a difficult one. And also, we can't forget about the old boy rule. We've got in every area of the team, we've got a Manchester United old boy. We've got Foster in goal, got Cathcart at the back, cleverly in midfield, and Ashley Fletcher up front. Surely one of them will score. Bingo, sorted. You you pulled it out of the fire there, Maybe right at the then. end, Dave. Because I was I was sat there listening to you two miserable, <laughs> miserable. Beggars, you two. I was like, oh, God. I came into this with a bit of positivity, thinking, you know what? Let's go, go at them, hammer and tongs. You've got players that are maybe a little bit more confident than they were do uh, than they were prior to the international break. Like Ishmael Asai scored a couple of goals uh, the other night for Senegal in a in a good win. He came back, you know, relatively early, so he's not come back late into this international break. Yeah. So, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed it goes well. And what about leading on to Ad? Do you know much about his availability? Because I think he played for Chile, didn't he, in the week? And it'd be nice to see maybe him and Nkulu strike up a partnership. Well, that's the thing. I, I think it will depend on on how Ranieri sort of has judged it in terms of the players that have, have remained. Ranieri's probably going to drop Cathcart now after he kept uh, Italy at bay for Northern Ireland, isn't he? He won't be happy. 
<laughs> well, that's the thing. It's uh, it does depend because it, you know the majority of that back line has been away. Cathcart was away. Sierra was away. William Triste Kong has been away. But there has been only one fit centre half that has remained, and that is Nicholas and Kulu, who we'll talk about in a moment. A Watford FC podcast brought to you by the Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. So one of the encouraging things that I saw at the Emirates was the the first start for Nicholas and Kulu. And we joked the other day, do you remember on one of the podcasts? Yeah, it was after the Everton game that Nicholas and Kulu had played. And I genuinely didn't have a clue what he'd done because all the action was up at the other end of the pitch. But in the process of writing uh, one of the articles that I wrote recently, um, which is a background piece on Nicholas and Kulu, I did watch all of the clips from the game against Everton. And he didn't really put a foot wrong in that game, but it's just he wasn't going to get the headlines because it was all about Joshua King that day. But I felt that the way that he performed at the Emirates was a reminder of the player that we do have on our hands. And, you know, going back to the peak ages and all that sort of stuff, yes, he's 31, but with a bit of age, that brings experience. And this is a footballer that has been at some top clubs playing Champions League, Europa League football, competing in the upper echelons of uh, Ligue 1 and in Serie A as well. Maybe not as high up in Serie A as he would have liked, but playing for some big clubs. And one that has been wanted by clubs like Arsenal uh, over the years. Manchester United have been linked with him. Leeds have been linked with him. Leicester as well. But for one reason or another that big move hasn't come about. And he came to the end of his contract with Torino, where he played under Valtamet Sari, and he was a free agent. And he, his signing just went a little bit under the radar. But there was just one moment, and I mentioned it in the piece. It was in the second half, and he was under pressure. And the way that he dealt with this situation was a reminder of the sort of player that we, that we do have on our hands that can deal with pressure situations and nervous situations. And he just managed to sort of take the ball down and just lifted the ball over, scooped the ball over uh, Alexandre Lacazette, who was trying to tackle him, burst his way away from um, Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka a little bit later on, and then just popped the pass off. And what I saw was really encouraging. He's a player that is comfortable in his own skin, happy on the ball, which I think <laughs> I think at times actually unsettled Ben Foster because Ben Foster, as we've written about before in previous um, articles about how Ranieri is actually trying to change the style of play, he kept on coming short and Ben Foster was like, I thought we agreed I was just going to hoof it almost, <laughs> you know. So, you know, he, he is a player that I hope will continue to grow and continue even though he hasn't come in for big money and he's a little bit older and all that sort of stuff. Hopefully, he will be able to grow into that position and improve that back line. Because on first impressions, against Everton, briefly, and against uh, Arsenal on his first start, I think he has already managed to raise the levels and give a bit more confidence to those alongside him. Do you think that that's, do you think that's fair? And also, did you learn any sort of things that were unexpected about the article that I put together? I, I was really interested in the piece because I think the fact that he arrived as a free agent, sort of post-transfer window free agent, you sort of think, oh, there must be a reason why he's a free agent. Exactly. No one else wants him. He's knocking about and we've just taken a punt on somebody that we can find. Um, but looking and, I, and, I, and, you know, to my to, to my discredit, I didn't really look into his into his record too much or his history until I'd read your piece. And he's got a hell of a he's got a hell of a pedigree. You know, the, the guy started his career at Monaco, went to Marseille, played for Lyon, Torino, decent Serie A side, 75 caps for Cameroon. 
You know, this is a serious player. There's not some guy who we just picked up from the dregs, really. And, you know, there would have been a reason why his contract ran down at Torino and he couldn't get a new deal. But he's turned up at Watford. And I'm, I'm really encouraged by reading from the people that you, you... Reading in your piece and the people you spoke to about his style of play, which we saw a little bit at the Emirates. Mostly it was, you know, the, that game was mostly about defending. There wasn't too much chance for our defenders and our team indeed to get on the ball but it seems like he's very comfortable on the ball would like to bring it out from the back even take players on and really try and drive forward and start moves which is something that none of our other centre-backs um, are comfortable doing we've not seen any of them really doing any evidence that they can do that so that's that's encouraging and there was there was a moment for me that uh, that stood out to me just a little moment in the second half at the Emirates when we were trying to get back into the game and trying to push on late into the game, where Arsenal, we had the ball, but Arsenal sort of pressed us a little bit. I think Arsenal cleared it and, and they were kind of pressing us a bit when it when it came back to, to Nkulu on the halfway line. And he looked at Ben Foster. And I think if it was any other player, whether it be Cathcart or Troost or even Serralta, they probably would have played it back to Foster and just thought, right, OK, I'm going to play safety first, give it back to Foster and he can get us going again, lump it up the other end. He looked at Foster he paused for a second. He thought, you know what? I'm going to turn. And he turned away from whoever it was, Lacazette or Aubameyang, whoever was pressing him at the time, said, I've got the ball. I can play. I'm going to go forward and get us going. And I like that. We need that. We haven't seen enough of that from our players this season. Yeah, there's some great bits in it, Ad, about the about his character as well. I love the little line about when he was a kid, he wanted to be a policeman because he wanted to protect his his city. I love that. And that sort of leads into him being a defender, isn't it? To protecting his his goal line. And, and of course, he moved to Monaco before he's 18. And I don't think we should underestimate stuff like that. You know, big, big moves for a kid. You know, I could barely move from my bedroom to the bathroom at, at 18, let alone... Uh, from continent to continent. Um, and Dave mentioned the Cameroon caps. He's captain Cameroon at, at World Cups. And so I think that all speaks to, to, to his character. And that's, we, you know, we're talking about age and, and experience earlier. Well, they're all things that, that feed into an experienced chap, aren't they? Which can only be uh, beneficial on the field, but hopefully off it as well. And, and Dave just alluded to it there, that sort of footballing brain and that the, what really came through from the piece in terms of listening hearing how people describe him smart not physical and and yeah. I love that I really really love that and I think we need a bit of that a bit of now someone who understands the overall game and how to use the ball how to use the space realizing that you don't have to be thundering into into tackles to to be a decent defender and and, and I think that more than anything really my, my ears and eyes pricked up and and I really I really enjoyed sort of realizing that about him and it and from what we've seen of him so far that that's absolutely true he's he looks in control doesn't he I think that that's smart not physical is is something that we can we can get excited about and probably is the reason we we, we signed him that combined with his with his experience could turn out to be a, a really canny canny signing I'm glad to glad to hear that actually because that that was my sort of initial observation just first impressions just just from when he first was announced and you see the pictures of him at the training ground or whatever, he doesn't look very big. He doesn't look very strong and powerful. He looks quite slight. I mean, he's six foot as well. So, you know, he's tall enough, but he's not, he's not, you know, six foot three, six foot four, sort of hulking great aerial presence. He looks quite slight and kind of not the typical centre-half. But certainly if you compare it to the other three, you know, Cathcart, Troost and, and Sierra Alta, they, they've all got a bit of bulk about them, haven't they? Whereas he doesn't. So, 
and that, and that initially just instinctively for me that was sort of a bit of a is, is that a concern is that something we should be worried about is he going to be able to cut it physically but reading the piece it seems that that's very much a feature of his game and he can mm. get by without having to sort of throw his weight around as such he's more of a graceful you know footballing center half yeah and that's what that's a couple of the people that I spoke to in in the piece one of which was from the the Kaji academy where he actually uh, started in in Cameroon um who had previously brought through the likes of, of Samuel Etu, um, Eric Jemba Jemba, who who played for Manchester United, um, and uh, Oliver Kaji, who's actually the son of the guy who set up uh, the academy, said that in, in reference to what you were saying there, Dave, is that he was always sort of cut from a different cloth to uh, some of the more sort of common traits that that he was saying he associated with um, African defenders, which is being big and and physical and powerful. And he said he's not the strongest, tallest or fastest, but he's very clean with the ball, never too physical. He's a very smart defender with his positioning and reading of the game, which set him apart. So it'll be good for 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 Vicarage Road. Danny fall- Shitu's not still around. It'd be a good partnership, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the sort of the backline version of uh, Quinn and Phillips. Yeah, it would be uh, <laughs> it would be interesting. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to read the piece, um, it is entitled a stylish defender on and off the field. And, and if you look it up mm-hmm. online on The Athletic, there is a couple of um, little pictures of, of him and his, his fashion sense as well. And he's always been, um, as he's described in the, in the piece by a, a Cameroonian journalist who I spoke to, uh, a, a very cool guy and he's into his fashion. I think that that was sort of brought on a little bit more by, by his time in, in Italy because he spent a, a fair amount of time in Italy. But yeah, he's uh, yeah, stylish on the field and, and stylish off it as well. And hopefully uh, Vicarage Road gets to see a, a stylish performance from him against Manchester United. So if you want to read that piece, of course, um, just a quick reminder, you can head to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. And if you are a new subscriber, you can get 33% off your new subscription. And uh, yeah, you can learn all about Nicholas Nkulu and impress your mates before the game. Right, let's kick on to goalkeepers. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is from the Rookery End. Right, so let's get our teeth into the the goalkeeping situation um, at Watford, and obviously, you know, in recent weeks we have we have spoken about it in different forms with you know Ben Foster and his and his YouTube and Daniel Backman not being happy and and things like that and the way that it was dealt with and the transition from Backman to Foster and was he injured and bloody bloody blah, and I was getting a lot of questions about it, so I did a piece recently basically entitled Watford's Goalkeeping Conundrum, just to try and deal with as many of the issues as possible. And this is basically what it boils down to, but there is a lot more detail in, in the piece, which obviously I would encourage you to read in full. But we know that, that Daniel Backman is not happy, 
And he is considering, as I understand it, leaving in January if things don't go to plan because he wants to be playing for his club and he wants to be playing for his club because he wants to keep his place in the Austria team. He's just been away on international duty and they do still have a distant hope of making the World Cup via the, via the Nations League. I don't know how that all works, but it, it, does, it does. There are still places available if all the teams that have already qualified for the World Cup through qualifying, there will be spaces available. Obviously, at the moment... Ben Foster is in goal. And as I was sort of researching the piece, it seems as if there are, there are a couple of reasons why Backman lost his place, one of which was partially due to his injury, but also it feels as if there was a feeling that they wanted a more authoritative goalkeeper, someone with, as it was described by someone, with the X factor. And Ben Foster, you know, like him or loathe him for, for what he does off the field, Whatever your stance is, he has been playing very well since the big hoo-ha after Liverpool. You know, in terms of his distribution, obviously at the Emirates, he then saved a penalty and pulled off another brilliant save from a header, which kept Watford, you know, in the game. And the feeling is that although there is the YouTube stuff that is going on and there have been conversations about that and his use of it and all that sort of stuff, it appears that his on-field performances have actually been unaffected. And until that seems to sort of be going the other way, I would expect him to keep his keep his place. But then in the midst of all of that, there was the signing which came out of nowhere, pretty much, of uh, Koi, who is the 22-year-old um, Nigerian keeper, and that's for, for next summer, really. And it puts a bit of a, an extra twist on things because you've got mm. a 22-year-old goalkeeper coming in next summer, You've got Ben Foster, who's out of contract in the summer and can talk to, to clubs in January. You've got Daniel Batman, who potentially might want to leave in January. So it is all quite up in the air and quite a lot of political situations for for the hierarchy to to deal with. It's I mean, what was your sort of your reading of it having having read the piece, Mike? First and foremost, congratulations to Ben Foster on, on five hundred appearances. I think yeah. that's that's no means at, at all. Um, so, yeah, fair play to him on on what's been a, a pretty impressive career one way or the other. And I think you're right. I think one of the one of the good things, very, very few good things about that Southampton game was his with his distribution. And then he stepped up again against Arsenal, uh, effectively kept us in the game, didn't he, with his penalty save and a couple of other very, very smart saves. So he's he feels to me like he's at the best that Ben Foster can be at the moment. Now, whether that's good enough for Watford in the Premier League is obviously open to, to debate, but I think he's certainly the best that Watford have got at the moment. I'm actually a little bit disappointed with, with Dan Backman, and I've seen quite a few people saying, yeah, I can understand why he's grumpy, understand why he's sort of effectively flouncing around a little bit. That's fine. I'd much, much rather it was, it was private and he was just knuckling down on the, on the training ground looking to impress his head coach and getting back into the side that way rather than give uh, interviews to various sort of outlets through, throughout Europe detailing how unhappy he is and, and, and how he might want to, want to move. Um, I've been pretty unimpressed by that. And that, we talked about Nicholas Nkulu and his, his character. Perhaps we've had a little glimpse into, into Daniel Backman's character there, uh, prepared to do his uh, dirty washing in, in, in public. Uh, and we do need to do a lot of dirt. We need to get through our dirty washing, uh, actually, because we need some clean sheets, don't we? Come on! Oh, very good. <laughs> very good. Well done. Thanks. Cheers, lads. God, tough. Well, no, tough I thought out. you were going on a so, tangent there. I was, I was like, hang on a minute, this, no. is a bit, this has gone a bit weird. And then I, I realised no, what no. you were saying. Yeah. 
Basically, I was just saying, let, let's stop conceding goals if we can. <laughs> yeah, but so, a, a little insight into into Backman's sort of perhaps psyche and the way he's chosen to approach things. I haven't been that impressed with that. And I understand that he will feel heightened because he's been, he had a really good summer, didn't he, with, with Austria. He played really well in the Euros and all of a sudden he'll feel like, right, I'm, we've talked about peak and prime. He will feel like he's in his in his prime, and 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 that's perhaps been well, taken away from him. He was on the and bench then, for Austria on Monday, indeed, against so Moldova. That, he did play again. He did start against Israel on the previous Friday. So I don't know whether that was just the coach thinking, right, we're going to play both one one in each game and sort of see how they're going on. But he'll definitely be thinking, you know, looking over his shoulder and thinking, I need to be in the team because he did impress people. I think in in the. Um, in the summer, I think he had a particularly good game against Italy, didn't he? And was that in the second round? I in think? the quarterfinals, um, or yeah. the quarterfinal, yeah. yeah. You know, so that I think will have attracted some eyeballs in the summer. They are in. I can tell you, Adam, they are indeed in the World Cup playoffs via the Nations League. They've made it in. The draw is on Friday, and they'll have to win two games to get there. And it will be difficult for them, but nevertheless... Yeah, see, in, I told you, I told you. I knew, I knew exactly that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that that will be forefront of his mind, definitely, absolutely. And, I, you know, but as we've talked about before in, in previous weeks when talking about the goalkeeping situation, I think Foster's, Foster's deserving of his place at the minute. And it's, it's intriguing the situation going forward with all three of them now. and Well, four of them if you count Stolberg, Stolberg yeah. as well. Um you say Foster's free to talk to other clubs, but he's got to surely be weighing up whether he wants to play at all. And I do wonder whether his YouTube channel sort of comes into his thoughts, just speculating here. Like, does he lose a bit of cachet from the YouTube channel if he's not a Premier League goalkeeper? Does it make it more difficult? Or does it make it more easy for him to, you know, obviously he could dedicate his full time to it and he could do all sorts of things with it because he's got a fantastic following, a platform that he's already grown and he can grow that even further. But I do wonder, I don't know, I just I just wonder in the back of my mind whether the person who's running it with him thinks, you know, it'd be a bit better if he was actually in the Premier League as opposed to not being a footballer anymore. I don't know. But... Or, or does he jump the shark completely and play for hashtag? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you could rule it out, could you? you definitely, I honestly think that is something that he'd be up for. He could, he, he's all over it. He absolutely loves the whole YouTube community. He's getting them all on. He loves hashtag. I think he's playing in a charity game for them. I yes, saw. Yeah. I think in a, in a few weeks' time, some sort of twenty-four hour thing, or you know, they're involved in it anyway. So yeah, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't surprise you at all. But but I do think to be serious, I think that. That signing of Okoye really sort of mm. made me sit up. It came out of nowhere. I saw like a notification on my phone, what we, we're pleased to announce the signing of, dot, dot, dot. I was like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And they've spent a bit of money on him, haven't they? Is it five or six million? Yeah, and they've, they've take, yeah, basically taken on quite an expensive contract that Sparta Rotterdam felt, right, you know, we, we've ourselves just signed him and now we know that there are going to be big clubs or... Premier League rich, richer clubs coming coming for him. So yeah, five million pounds is is the fee that I understand uh, that has been paid to them. Um, but it seems to have been done sort of relatively amicably. There was quite a lot of detail in the in the Rotterdam um, release in terms of what they said, and their sporting director was talking about it very very honestly and openly. I quite like that actually. Um, so it, it's an exciting signing, and obviously he would have got glowing references from you know especially William Trooster Kong who is you know the Nigeria captain and and others as well Peter Atibo and and Emmanuel yeah. Dennis as well who be, who'll be aware of his ability so it's a it's a big one and and you know he has spoken about the fact that he is aiming to be 
you know, number one in the in the Premier League or the or the Championship. So it's gonna it will guide the likes of he's, Foster he's and Batman's thinking. He's a big one as well, thinking. isn't he? He's six foot six. Yeah. Proper big, big yeah, dominant you know. goalkeeper. So yeah. you know that's one of the criticisms of both of both Backman. Even though he's really loud, as we learned, you know during during lockdown especially, he's got a booming voice. Backman. I think that one of the criticisms has been that both both he and Ben Foster sometimes are a little bit shrinking violets in their own sort of six yard box when the balls are being whipped in. They're not really booming and and dominant. So. Yeah, we will see. We will see what happens, and then meanwhile, Rob Elliott is just there, sort of happy-go-lucky, potentially going to be the you know the third choice once again. But... Safe pair of hands in that role, isn't it? If you'd asked me to put money on it now, next season, I think we'd have a coin number one, Dolberg number two, and Elliott still there. I think Foster will will leave. I think I can see Foster deciding to do something else and think you know time to bow out, and then and I think Batman might leave. Well, you know what, Dave? You know what? I think. Over the last couple of weeks, and I don't know this, I've not spoken to, to Ben Foster at all or, or people around him at all. But my gut feeling is that that whole hoo-ha when it blew up around Liverpool and probably having a few, you know, talkings to behind the scenes and things like that, actually, he probably thought, you know what, I've got a year left of being a footballer. And he's spoken about the fact that he's never really been in this situation before and it's mm. it's exciting. But at the same time, I would have thought he's, he's probably a bit like, oh, God, well, what does what does happen? Do I go to America? Do I, you know, play for another Premier League team? Who knows? You know, Chelsea traditionally or Manchester City traditionally sign a really old, experienced third choice keeper, keeper to just hang around. So who knows? Who knows Pep where? Pep never having any... any... <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah. you know, I think that probably in his mind he's thought, you know what? I'm I'm playing under a, a decent head coach here in in Claudio Ranieri. I'm being asked to do different things and he has stepped up to the challenge. He has played well. He has looked focused, mm. focused. So, yeah, I, I I it would be great to sort of get into his mind in terms of exactly how he is thinking right now. And I'm sure I'm sure we will probably hear from him on his YouTube channel talking. <laughs> maybe <laughs> talking maybe about the sensible it. option is then to try and get Foster for another year. I think and maybe bring, the, and bring Okoye in gradually. I, I think we'll probably the we... ship has sailed. The ship has probably sailed on that. Um, and as I understand it, I don't think there's any sort of active talks about extending. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me because we've been in that situation before. If they know that they've got a safe-ish pair of hands, they kept Gomez on for for an extra year. Maybe that was a year too many. And now they've signed Okoye, you know, I think that, I think it seems to be moving in the direction of, of Foster leaving. But we will see. Because if he continues to play, you know, fantastically well and he manages to keep Watford in the Premier League, then you'd be silly to get rid of him, especially because he is he is fit as a fiddle. Even though he's the oldest YouTuber in town, he is still a really fit goalkeeper. It feels to me it's an example of Watford actually being quite well organised and prepared. New guy coming in, they've invested quite heavily in him, so they obviously have high hopes for him. All the all the indications are that Backman wants out. All the indications are that um, Ben Foster is going to call it a day at the end of this season. And we we mentioned him very briefly, but Pontus Dahlberg has been playing with with the, he's been called up to the the, the full Sweden squad. Yeah, hasn't yeah he? he's and been I on the bench. High hopes yep. for him. He's had a he's had his contract extended. So I think um, Akoye will be the will be number one. Darbold number two, and uh, Elliot in as a, as a as a number three if he if he's um, if he's required. And I think for me, it feels like it's pretty decent succession planning from Watford. And there you go, positivity with Parkin. Enjoy it. Well done, Mike. That's a fantastic fantastic way to end. And interestingly, when you're talking about succession planning, we haven't even mentioned the fact that during this international 
period, we've had a lot of our relegation rivals actually recruiting new head coaches and new managers, the likes of Eddie Howe at Newcastle, Dean Smith, that's a weird one, going from Aston Villa in trouble to Norwich in trouble. And Aston Villa have now got Steven Gerrard. So it'll be interesting to see over the coming weeks how that changes uh, the dynamic. But just a quick reminder, and I know I've mentioned it a couple of times before, but obviously we've been discussing these articles that are available to you on The Athletic. Uh, and if you want to subscribe, head to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end and you will be able to get your 33% discount on a new subscription. Um, thank you very much for listening today. Dave, it's been great to have you on board. Thank you. Cheers, Ab. And to you, Mike, as well. Thank you very much, Tony. Just before we go, just to end on a slightly more sombre note, we did find out this week, mm. unfortunately, a... Uh, uh, home and away Watford fan, a stalwart England as well, travelled away with England. Uh, it'd be a familiar face and a friend to, to many people listening. Um, sadly, Kev Norman uh, passed away this week. So we'd just like to extend our, our condolences and thoughts to to all Kev's friends and, and family that have uh, met him at football and, and so on and so forth. He was a big, big character uh, for, for England and, and Watford and a, and a sad loss. So our thoughts uh, to, to everyone that, 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 that knew Kev. There's going to be, I think, a minute's applause um, at 60 minutes at the at the Watford game on on Saturday. So obviously join in with that if if you're there. And uh, yeah, once again, our thoughts and uh, condolences uh, to to Kev's friends and and family. Yeah. yeah, nice words, nice words, Mike. And yeah, fingers crossed that Watford put on a performance in his memory on Saturday against Manchester United. If you're going, enjoy the game. If not, you'll be able to relive it and uh, pick up the, uh, the reaction on the next episode of From the Rookery End. Uh, the boys will see you then, and I will be back next Thursday. Take care, everyone. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.